Uh, some of you may remember that Ashley Bill, who was here, promised that he was going to go through the spiritual gifts of all of us, and he broke that promise and left us in Texas. <laughs> and so for the next several weeks, we're going to be dealing with the spiritual gifts, uh, probably through the Bible, but I'm not sure. I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 6. It says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Uh, I wonder. How many of you here are charismatic? Well, the word charismatic actually comes from the Greek word charisma. And it refers to a gift. And we use charisma to mean a lot of different things. Uh, there are certain people that have a magnetic personality. And when they walk into a room, everybody else lights up. They're called charismatic. At least one of my sons has that fact. My mother told my deceased wife and I once, why do your kids have more charisma than you do? <laughs> I don't know. And then charismatic is also used to describe a particular kind of spiritual gift. There are those that say that they have the gift of tongues. And these people are sometimes called charismatics. But then uh, the word Charismatic also refers to every one of us. That is because God has given a spiritual gift to every believer, and uh, there are some occasions in which we don't use that gift in the right way. One way to misuse it is as they did in 1 Corinthians. There, some people say their spiritual gift especially tongues there, was greater than the other gifts. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, primarily to refute that. He was saying, you can have every spiritual gift, you can have tongues, and it's nothing but like a claiming system, symbol, if there's not love. So it's much inferior to love. If you have other spiritual gifts, None of those are as great as love either. So the greatest of all the gifts is love, and if you do not have love, then all of the others do not matter. I found that some years ago, this was a, something that came to me from reading the scripture, and that is, it is impossible for me to glorify God and myself at the same time. One more time, it is impossible. Or glorify God and yourself at the same time. God gives the spiritual gifts, not so that you can say, boy, what a gift I have. Probably the most visible gift in any church is that of the pastor, the preacher, because we stand up here and everybody sees us. That is not the most important of all the spiritual gifts. And none of us can say that our gift is greater than another because God is the author of all spiritual gifts and we're to glorify Him and live it, not ourselves. But there's another side that's also equally wrong. 
And that is to deny that God has given you a spiritual gift. Everybody has at least one, and even those that you do not possess, you can still exercise. Everybody has been given a spiritual gift by God. And you know the reason why? He's given it to you so that you can help to build up the church. I hear people say to me, you know, I believe in Christ, but I don't believe so much in the church. Well, they're contradicting what the Bible says. Because the Bible says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loved the church and unto die for it so that his kingdom might be built up through the church. You're to use your spiritual gift. If you're not using your spiritual gift, you're denying the gift that is within you. In the Bible, there are at least three lists of the spiritual gifts in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians, and here in Romans. And today I'm not going to try to deal with all of them. There's so many of them. And probably a lot of them are not even listed. But I want to look today at two of them. That is the gift of prophecy and the gift of service. Prophecy especially occurred in the Old Testament. Moses to Malachi, we find many prophets of God. But when we think about prophecy, we think about them telling about the future. What's going to happen tomorrow, or the next day, or next year, or 50 years from now, or 2,000 years from now. And as human beings, there are many that are called secular prophecies. Nostradamus uh, was one of those, and Casey was another. In the generation of some of us that are a little bit older, we remember Gene Dixon made many predictions. And there are those that follow each one of them and say they, they were able to tell the future. Listen, I look at some of them, and they missed a whole lot more than they hit. My conclusion is that if you make enough predictions about the future, every once in a while, you're going to be right. In, in, in my area, I think even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> God spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament. Their main duty was not foretelling the future. The main thing that they did was foretelling. So we still happy to try to reveal the future. I'm thinking especially about those that are predicting the second coming of Christ. And I was looking at Wikipedia uh, day before yesterday just to see how many people had predicted that Christ was coming in the last 2,000 years. And there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people predicting a day to come of Christ. And they all had something in common. They were all wrong. <laughs> I believe the Christians ought to stay away from the business of predicting when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, Charles G. Russell began the Jehovah's Witnesses. He first predicted that Christ was going to come back, I believe, in 1874, then in 1914, and then at least five or six other times. I remember I was pastoring in the 1980s and it was in the news or in the newspaper that Christ, that they were predicting Christ was going to come back in a particular day. They said, Are you doing anything special? I said, No, because I know it's not going to happen. Because they've already passed the test of a false prophet. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, if somebody makes a prediction 
and it does not come true. He is a false prophet. And so they already passed that test. Remember a few years ago, I was, I was reading, I do a lot of reading. And in the reading, I was reading about this pastor, I believe he was from Arkansas. And he told this church that he knew the day that Jesus was going to come back. He figured it out by reading the Bible. And so he encouraged them all to sell their property, sell their cars, and many of them And then they went to this hillside and they waited the second coming of Christ. I, I really hope that they're not still waiting. <laughs> Even people that we admire and respect have been wrong in this. I remember during the 1960s, I was reading about an interview of Billy Graham. Billy Graham said that he was convinced that Christ was going to come back within the next five years. Billy Graham did some marvelous things, great evangelists, but he was not so great as a foretelling. But the main task of the prophets in both the Old Testament and some of the New was in foretelling. That is, the prophet would take the word of God, and that, that word would sometimes come by way of a dream or a vision, or God speaking to them directly, and they were to deliver the word of God to God's people. That was the opposite of a priest. A priest lifted up human concerns to God. And so they would take all the concerns of human beings, their sin, and they would pray and they would make sacrifices. On behalf of people. Prophet's role was different. They took God's word and they delivered And not only wonder, why did God speak to people in the Old Testament in that way? The prophets. And he doesn't seem to do that, at least not very often, especially people that are taking their medication. He doesn't speak at all today with these voices that we currently hear. And I confronted them, you know, God has his own reasons, but in the Old Testament, when the prophets were there, they didn't have all of the Bible. They didn't have all the Old Testament, only parts of it. And so God had to reveal it directly to them. But even more important than that, God had not yet sent the greatest revelation he was going to send. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. The one who said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We don't need another revelation. In fact, the Bible says we have received that revelation already. And so you might ask, well, are preachers and teachers today prophets? No, they're not. Not in the sense that they were in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, where there are prophecies, they will cease. We don't seem to live in the age of prophecy, but we still have the word of God. And we are to take God's word and we are to tell other people about that. That revelation is given by way of the Bible, which is called the written word of God. But more importantly, it is given through the light of Christ, who is called the living word of God. And we take God's word and we deliver it to people, but we are stewards of the word of God. We're not really prophets. In that sense, God's word has great power. I was reading about some Moravian missionaries that went to Greenland years ago, and almost all the population was in them. Uh, they were Eskimo. 
And these Peruvian missionaries for many years were trying to tell people about the Bible. They were trying to convince them to become believers. And they focused upon natural theology. That is, living in nature and getting some kind of revelation from God. But in 17 years, they had not one convert. <clears throat> and so uh, one day there was one of these native men by the name of Karna. And he overheard one of the missionaries talking to another about the last weeks of Christ's life, what's he called the Passion Time. And then that he described about how Jesus takes away our sins and that he could be forgiven for his sins. And this Karna had lived a very wicked life, but when he heard about Jesus being able to take a look at sins, he was interested. And so he heard me talk to them. To the amazement of the missionaries, he became a believer along with his household. What convinced them was not all the arguing, not all the apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Instead, what convinced them was the simple word. Why do people come together on Sunday around the world? What are we here for? I believe that we come together because we want to find out what the Word of God says to us in our lives right now. Look at Jeremiah. There was a king by the name of Zedekiah. And they were being in danger an invasion from the Babylonians. With the southern kingdom, uh, Jeremiah was not very popular. In fact, he, he was probably the most unpopular prophet of all. You know, they threw him in a well, they castigated him, they hated Jeremiah because he always gave them bad news. He kept saying, Repent, or God's going to wipe you out. But yet, as the Babylonians were threatening to, to, to come in and destroy uh, Jerusalem. Zedekiah called for Jeremiah in secret. He said to him, Is there a word on the Lord? In his word, wasn't the word he wanted to hear. He had been listening to all these false prophets, but he knew Jeremiah's word was true. He said, not only is it coming by this time. And even if the Word of God is not always popular today, we still want to know what God says. It's imperative. You know, sometimes people have told me they didn't like something that I said, and I said, well, you know, go show me the Bible what you think it's wrong. Maybe your argument is not believed with God. Take it up with Him. <laughs> Word of God is powerful. Let me suggest to you that even if you're not a prophet, even if you don't preach, you don't teach, you have a tremendous responsibility today. That's because the Bible says you are a priest. It says in, uh, uh, that you are a holy priesthood in 1 Peter 2 9. That I know it's supposed to be the right to call us today. And every time somebody is speaking or preaching for God, you have a responsibility 
You need, first of all, to understand and know the Word of God. And if I'm ever preaching something that is not biblical, that is outside of Scripture, that is outside of the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, and the written Word, which is the Bible, then it is your responsibility and obligation to come and speak. Now, I would prefer that you not stand up like that. <laughs> Wait till after the service and you can come and talk to me. You know, but, but you have that responsibility. You are a priest before God. You need to make sure that everything that is said is according to the truth of God. The first gift that is listed is the gift of prophecy. And secondly, there's the gift of service. This is something that people, some people have a special gift for. And I think every one of us is called to service. Jesus uh, was very bad. He said in Matthew 20, he said, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be servant of all. James and John asked to sit on the right and the left of Jesus when he came to his kingdom. Jesus said, That's not mine to him. And I can assure you, that's not going to be one of my seats. I'm going to be way. Service. 
we read in the scripture for a while ago, and I've already planned this before, I think we'll go to the reading. We covered most of my sermon today in Sunday school, and I told Marvin he could be excused from this part. <laughs> but, but Jesus was attending a magnet given by a Pharisee. They were trying to trap him, and he noticed that in this banquet, there were those who were jockeying for the highest place of honor there. And he said to them, you know, when you come together like this, don't take the highest honored chair. He said, because the host might come to you and say, you've got somebody else of higher honor than you. Uh, you're going to have to move now. That would be, you know me. He said, instead, take the lowest chair you can find. And then the host may come to you and say, come on, you're, you're more honored than that. I'm going to take you to a better chair. And then Jesus said, Everyone that exalts himself will be humble, and everyone that humbles himself will be exalted. The great in the eyes of God, the great in the kingdom of God, is to be humble and to serve. To serve with what God has given us. You may not have every gift, you may be lacking gifts, talents, abilities. Can still serve God. I was reading about a guy who was uh, one day in Seattle. He was a new Christian. And there was another fellow there in a wheelchair. And he had some tracts. You know, little books that tell about how to become a Christian. And he was just handing those out to people on the street. And the new Christian kept thinking, himself, well, why doesn't he say anything? He's just handing these out. He, he'd be a lot more effective, you know, if he followed up and said, you know, greeted them, said something. And finally he continued more. So he looked at the guy and said, Why in the world are you not talking to them when you have out the crowd? The man didn't say anything. He was He was using the gift that God had with him. He was willing to serve as Christ changed his life. We have to be servants. In the church, out of the community. And you know, I, 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 was, uh, I was just thinking about how great Jesus was. But yet, he came into the world to be a servant, a suffering servant. And only a short time before he was taken to be crucified, he took a moment to demonstrate the importance of servitude, washing the feet of his disciples. Now, that day, Everybody in more sinners, you know, sinners to hear. There they didn't even have a cobblestone, they were just dirt roads, rain, they think mud and sloppy. And so when a person entered a home, uh, the, the host would send for a son to wash the crud off their feet. Now that's not a very glorious job. But, but they did. And so the disciples were astounded when Jesus, the very Son of God, the Messiah, took a basin of water and a towel and went over and began to wash the feet of his disciples one by one. Join as an example of service means. It means taking an inferior role. It means lifting other people above yourself. And I, you know, I look at our church, and I'm not going to mention any names in any of this, but I, I'm so grateful for people here that are willing to serve. But I came here something over two years ago, and a lady came up to me, and she said, you're the 
visiting pastor. She said, Do you like me to go with you? Yes. And so for the last plus two years, we visited at least one day every week. And we visited somewhere between one and three people. And sometimes it's more nerdy than me. And then there are other people besides this lady. I've visited with several others. And you know, we go and visit these houses. And they're willing to do that as an act of service to God. We have others that are willing to help with uh, nursing and take blood pressure and uh, check glucose levels and all kinds of things. We have some pills for people that can't afford them. And, so, and all kinds of uh, wheelchairs and potty chairs and other things are open to get out. We have people that are serving that are willing to do that help others. We have people that help I got a message this last week from our communications committee. Most of you probably don't even know that we have a communications committee, but they do that. And they do a lot of work. The things that fit together and work together come because of them. We have people that do all kinds of administration. We have those that are working the sound system and those that are working on the building. And we have, we have people that come and that becomes their service ministry. God's called them to do that. We have uh, people that do all kinds of things. People just get taken, things get taken care of. Because uh, you know, somebody has to get together with both of them. Not one of them, actually several people involved in that process. I don't do that. There are others that do that. But I do look at what they've done. That's my job. And what a great thing is that we have a church. People who are willing to serve. That's what it's all about. The gift is given to others, but it's also given to God. God rewards us when we use the gift of service. But in addition to serving in God, there's a gift of serving to every one of us. That is praying. And I was talking to someone this last week. He said that they get up every morning to have a worship prayer. I hope that there are many others who do the same. We need to be praying for one another. Praying for those that are sick. Praying for those that need spiritual help in their lives. People that need maturity. We need to pray for one another on a regular and consistent basis. There was a pastor some years ago. He was just starting out. And one of his members came up to him. He said, uh, that, you know, pastor, you're not a very And in the general course of things, uh, he would probably fail, but there's some of us that are pray for him. So they gathered a small group and pray for him, and that group grew, and to eventually there were more than a thousand who prayed for him every week. His name was Jay Wilbur Chapman, well known evangelist, preacher, great preacher. He said the reason that he was able to develop were, was because there were people that were willing to pray for him and for the Father. Took somebody that was a miserable preacher and made him a great preacher. That's an act of service. So that they would look Two of the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church to glorify himself, to grow the church, to strengthen the church. 
That is, prophecy, which today includes espousing the Word of God or teaching or preaching, and that is serving. Some are special in the death of man. In the New Testament, there was a lady by the name of the goddess. Not much is said about her, except that she was a very kind lady. What she would do, according to the book of Acts, is she would take, uh, she would sow garments and distribute those to the poor. I suspect she was never able to stand up and preach or knock on doors to evangelize people. But she, she deserved it. Gracious God, thank you so much for your glory. Lord, we pray that you might be glorified today in our lives. Help us to love one another, serve one another, to encourage one another. Help us truly to be people of God. How the church kind of conditions that we lose. Forgive us about our sins and we know that we can say Thank you for each new day that you give us. A second chance and a 498 chance. Mm-hmm. Because.